welcome back to the Worst Sister Shire podcast. We're three sisters who decided to start up a podcast and talk about our favourite TV shows and movies. And this week we're starting a brand new series, which we've decided to call Whisperia Lane, where we'll be covering um, the ladies that in Desperate Housewives while they live on Wisteria Lane. Let's introduce ourselves, guys. Hi, I'm Suna. I'm Sadie. And I'm Arzum. And here in the Worst Sister Shire, we have a motto. And that motto is, if attempted murder is a crime, then attempted comedy is a podcast. So now let's attempt some comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's give it a crack. Um, cool. So, Sadie, did you want to talk about our pilot episode for us? Yeah. In this episode, it just it's just called Pilot. It doesn't actually have a name. We are introduced to some of the ladies of Wisteria Lane. So you've got Lynette, Gabrielle, Bree, Susan and Mary Alice, and it's a little look into their lives. From the outside, they seem like they're perfect, but um, it revolves around the death of one of their friends. Um, To me, this this whole episode gave sort of like um, Pretty Little Lies meets uh, Sex in the City vibes. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, Cool, and I'll cover episode two. Uh, So episode two is called Ah But Underneath, and in this episode, so all of the episodes are – narrated by Mary Alice Young and she's telling the story of what's happening in her friends' lives and the mystery surrounding her own death um, throughout the episodes for those who haven't um, who aren't familiar with the show. And in this episode, the kind of focus that she has is being able to see underneath what's happening in people's lives. So she talks about in the beginning that when we die our senses vanish um, except for the sight and the sight expands. And she says but most of what can be seen by the dead could be seen by the living too if they cared to look. And so she's delving a bit deeper into the everyday lives of her friends in this episode. So Bree's marriage is falling apart. Uh, Lynette's going crazy with her kids. Susan's got the hots for the new neighbour, obviously big problems. And, you know, Gabby's having marital affairs and cheating affairs and... (laughs) Pedophilic affairs. Pedophilic affairs. She's the Ezra of this series, basically. She really is. Um, And it's fun that Sadie mentioned the Pretty Little Liars thing because I made a lot of comparisons to Pretty Little Liars throughout this episode as well. Same. Starting with the blonde friend that dies. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Regular listeners will know the way we go through our Pretty Little Liars episodes is usually we follow the trajectory of each character's path individually through the series and I think we're planning to do the same thing for this one as well but I was thinking for the pilot episode do we want to talk about first the opening kind of sequences and Mary Alice's death and funeral and then we can break out into our characters after that yes yeah all right let's kick into it so I guess it starts with as we've kind of hinted um, Mary Alice's death. So Mary Alice starts narrating. She talks about the day of her death, which was just a regular Thursday, right? So she just did the usual thing. She did her chores. She had breakfast. What then happened was the unusual bit, which is she just randomly went to bedroom, got a gun that's never been used before and shot herself. So I guess part of the mystery that we're solving throughout this series is what on earth happened to her that caused her to do that. My favourite part of this scene, though, was no- nosy Mrs. Hoover. Who heard a sound from next door. It's just like, oh, I'm going to go spy. So she pretends to return the blender that she's borrowed for like six months. Yeah. And she brings it with her and she sees Mary Alice through the window and, you know, calls the cops and stuff. And then she promptly goes back home and is like, hey, free blender and takes off the sticker. 
always look, always look from the bright side. Always looks on the right side. Was that blender really from six months ago or from like six decades ago? Why did it look like a blender from the 80s? Like, I'm pretty sure they had, they had much newer appliances in the 2000s. If you've got a good working blender that's been serving you well for years, why would you replace it? Until, unless your neighbour has stolen it. You probably have plates in your house from before we were born. <laughs> like, who are you to judge? <laughs> I definitely have a set of drawers in my house from before you were born. I actually quite liked the blender. I thought it was cute. Um, I thought it was and I cute too. Also, retro is back in. So. It is. But then next we kind of cut to the wake. So all of the women are leaving the houses one by one to go and pay their respects to their friend. And first thing I want to say is Lynette's dress, amazing. Same. Yes. I wrote the same note. I love her dress. I love I her it. dress. And her heels were really nice too. Yeah, she just looked really nice. I just loved her whole vibe. And she was mm. like like elegant and dressed up, but like not flashy, mm. you know, whereas like Gabrielle was like a bit flashy. 10 out of 10, best outfit of these episodes. Agreed. We find out a bit more about Lynette. So she used to be climbing the corporate ladder, but then she decided with Tom, her husband, I guess Tom suggested and she went along with it based on the flashback that we saw, that she become a stay-at-home mum. Um, because kids do better with stay-at-home mums. And she now has four kids. Yeah, her kids are doing great. Yeah, her kids are doing great. (laughs) It's going Um, well. (laughs) And um, she has four kids under six, so she's always in misery. And her husband's not around much to help either because he travels a lot for work and stuff. Yeah, so when they're going into the wake, Lynette takes it upon herself to be like, okay, if you sons of bitches don't behave... I've got Santa's phone number right here and I'll tell him you want socks for Christmas. Are you willing to risk that? I just love this like thing of Lynette because it just already seems like, you know, she's a tough lady and I like it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, my favourite quote from that scene is when the kids ask her how she got Santa's number and she yes. says, I know someone who knows someone who knows an elf. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so next we meet Gabrielle and she's bought a spicy paella. There's no um, commentary on whether she made it or not, but I'm assuming not. And um, so about Gabby, we find out that she has a thing for rich food and rich men. Um, We know that Carlos works in mergers and acquisitions and they got together pretty quickly and he was crying like he closed a deal when they... He acquired a ring and merged. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. He acquired a ring and merged. And um, I guess her entrance scene is kind of her fighting with Carlos about... um, Kind of material things, I guess. Like he wanted her to mention how expensive her necklace was. Yeah. At her friend's wake. Summary of that is their marriage is clearly on the rocks. They're fighting. They're not happy. And then who comes in next? Is it Susan or Brie? It's Brie. Yeah. So Brie, we find out is the perfect Stepford housewife. She does all of her own things. She makes all of her own things from scratch. She's basically the DIY queen. She's what I aspire to. In my notes, I've got here Brie Spiration. Yeah, Brie Spiration. Yeah, so Brie not only brought food to the wake, she also brought food for um, Paul and Zach, um, Mary Alice's young son and husband, um, to have for during the week as well. So she brought them some breakfast items in two different baskets. She's really like, I think particularly considerate and she rocks up with her kids. Her kids look over it. They kind of walk in and Brie's like, you know, so sorry, like about everything. I can't imagine what you're going through. Like sort of let me know if I can do anything or if you need anything, whatever. And she's like, but by the way, I will be needing these baskets back (laughs) when you're done. Thanks. Which fair enough, because I'm assuming she made those baskets. She does everything else from scratch. 
But also, even if she didn't make them, those baskets are expensive. You can't be handing them out willy-nilly every time you give someone breakfast rolls. Exactly. But then Rex gave her, like, a look as if, like, I can't believe that she just said that kind of a thing. Yeah, those baskets cost at least $50 each. Easy. At least. You can't be giving yeah. away $50 baskets every time you make somebody a muffin. So I'm team Brie on this one. <laughs> and then enter our local clumsy doe-eyed girl who can't even walk across yeah. the street without losing the foil off her mac and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you know she's clumsy when she walks yeah. in doing clumsy shit. Um, And we find out a bit about her. So she can't cook for shit. Um, She can only make mac and cheese and she rarely did that well, according to her ex-husband, Carl. So we find out that um, her husband cheated on her with his secretary and they're now divorced. And a year later, um, this is now a year later, basically, and she's walking in there with her shitty mac and cheese that she made for her friends. Why bring anything? Or just like... Do buy what Lynette something. did, buy something. Yeah. But no, it's so you ha- so you know, she's um just a quirky girl. She's not like other girls. She can't cook. She's clumsy. She's silly. Ha 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 ha, you know? Yeah. Um, if you guys can't tell, I hate Susan. <laughs> Same. But I feel like, yeah, she's gonna be this show's Aria for us. Of course. <laughs> I can already You hate tell. Susan. Yeah, yes. I knew you'd like you Susan. Not? No. She's I knew you'd like beautiful. Susan. What do you like she's, about her? She's so – she's magic. You can't touch her. You can't say anything bad about Susan. She's adorable. Oh, I'm going to say a lot of bad things about Susan. I fucking hate her. Uh, well, then, as we, um, Sadie, you better get used to being on the Susan defense because this ain't going to go well. <laughs> I just find her so annoying. She's just so obviously a character that I feel like was written by a man and just has these assumptions of what women are like. They're just like doe-eyed and ditzy and silly and that's meant to be cute and endearing, but it's just annoying. That same man also wrote Lynette, Gabrielle and Brie. Well, I don't know for sure if a man wrote it. I'm saying it just feels like the stereotypical a man wrote this character is what I'm saying. There are some people in life who are just like this. There really isn't and there shouldn't be. And if they are, they should be killed. Bro, what's wrong with Susan? I've only watched two episodes. What the hell's wrong with Susan? I'm only basing this off two episodes. I'm going to jump ahead. But in these two episodes, she's burnt down someone's house and tried to kill someone's dog. Literally. The dog was an accident and so and so was the fire. But being like a careless bitch whose whole personality is being silly and clumsy doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make it endearing if you make it a whoopsie. She still ruined someone's life and nearly killed their dog. Out of what? Just jealousy over a man she doesn't know. Over a man who wasn't even at that house either, might I add. Anyway, moving ahead, we'll jump onto Susan's future indiscretions in a minute. But um, the next we kind of see is we start to see flashbacks of the women um, and hanging out with Mary Alice and seeing what their friendship used to be like and how she was like this kind of supporting factor in their lives that the supporting presence in their lives yeah and the first kind of flashback we see is that susan is telling her friends about carl when she finds out that he's um cheated and they're all offering her support and talking about um the thing my favorite quote of this one is and you're gonna like it sadie because it's a susan quote but it's when um susan says that when she found out carl told her that most men live lives of quiet desperation and she was like, what do women live? Lives of noisy fulfillment? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line. It was so good. So Mary Alice Young's take at, at, in this scene was that we all have moments of desperations, but if we face them head on, we find out how strong we are. 
how strong was she if she killed herself though exactly so that that's the question here so what has she done so we'll find out some more stuff later um through the series but there's some suspicious circumstances around her death paul mentions to the women um somebody else mentions it but apparently paul wants them to go over and clear mary alice's things like he's just getting a free mate service out of this like yeah i know it Uh, Sadie's, do you want to talk about your favourite Susan's meet with Mike? So Susan's being Susan and just floating around the wake and then she notices that someone's actually trying to eat her mac and cheese. So she rushes over before the damage is done and she takes the mac and cheese away from him and she's like, oh, I wouldn't eat that because I made that. Anyway, he has a bite and um, he says, oh, I don't know how, but you managed to make it undercooked and overcooked and burnt at the same time. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. And then she um, takes it away. Now that so everybody's seen that she's brought something, she removes the dish away from the table. We also find out here that Susan is a children's illustrator. Children's book illustrator. She doesn't illustrate children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She could. You don't know. She could, yeah. My question for you guys, though, is he mentions that he's just moved in, like, next door and, like, literally last week so kind of a thing. Why is yeah. he at this wake if he doesn't know anyone or the person who's dead? He saw a party. He just joined. He did, yeah. He's like, oh, free oh. mac and cheese. Yeah. Maybe he met um, Paul at some stage. Maybe. But even then, I feel like it would be weird to be like, hey, I know we just met, but you seem like a good guy. Do you want to come to my wife's funeral? Yeah, I know. It's such a good point. He was like, hey, is this an open house? I'm going to spy. And then accidentally walks into a wake. And I'm lucky he was wearing a suit. <laughs> Yes, next scene, Mrs. Huber approaches Lynette and says, Hey, Lynette, um, do you know what your sons are doing right now? (laughs) I love Mrs. Huber. She's so funny. She's the best. And Lynette walks out and her kids are just like having a pool party up in this wake. (laughs) They're just like splashing around. Turns out they wore their swimsuits underneath their regular suits because they were planning this. Yeah. um, I know. And I also like when they're like, oh, we're not coming out. You can't make us. And then they cross their arms and just keep bouncing around like little genies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so they're like, no. And then everyone's staring. And so she just hands this her baby to some man and goes in, heels and all, long dress and everything, and drags them out. And I'm like, this scene was amazing because even underwater, her dress held up really nice. <laughs> yeah. Even wet, it looked great. It did. It really did. And so did she. Makeup running and everything, hair wet. She looked amazing. So eventually she drags him out. She grabs the baby and she goes up to Paul and she's like, I'm really sorry for your loss. We're going to have to be going now. Bye. (laughs) I don't see why. Yeah. She kept her poise poise and dignity throughout the whole thing. The kind of mom I aspire to be. She screamed and jumped in the pool. But don't get me wrong. That's like exactly how I would handle it. But I don't think it was with poise. That was poise. We have different definitions of poise. And different definitions of what's legal, apparently. What do you mean? Because Sadie thinks what Susan did is fine and trespassing oh, is fine. Okay, and when yeah, we were yeah. talking about Pretty Little Liars recently. Guys, let's not go back to Susan. Okay, but when we were talking about Pretty Little Liars recently, Sadie was like, oh, she only hit and run because she was threatened. It's not that bad. <laughs> She only burned the house down because she was jealous. She only hit the cop because she was threatened. 
<laughs> she only flipped the scene because she was scared. I guess if you do something because of an emotion, it's fine. Yeah. It is. It is. Haven't you heard of and crimes of passion? Yeah, yes. they're not allowed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I live my life a quarter mile at a time, okay, guys? I don't expect yeah. you guys to understand what emotions feels like. Yeah, because you have the thick hair, I see. Yeah, your opinions of hair and emotions are invalid because you guys have none. That's why I said his hair is so big, they're full of emotions. (laughs) (laughs) So good. (laughs) Lynette, when's the first time? Lynette goes to the supermarket and she's on the phone to Tom, who's her husband, being like, Hey, you must be having the time of your life. Call me back or jokes on you. I'm going to come to you with all of the kids, basically. Also, when she's on the phone to him, um, her kids are like screaming and stuff and wanting her attention. And she's like, not now, baby. Mommy's threatening daddy. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I know. It's so good. And then after that, the kids um, decide to steal a trolley and just like go down the aisles. Joy ride. Putting things in. Yeah, yeah joy riding. So Lynette runs into a work, an old work friend when she's at the supermarket and the friend's just like gushing over her like, oh my gosh, Lynette, how are you? Blah, 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 blah. Um, we miss you back at the firm. Um, we always say that if you hadn't left the ad game that you would have been running the show by now. And then she asks her, how's everything going with you? Don't you just love being a mum? It cuts to Mary Alice kind of saying that like to those who ask this question, there's only like one acceptable answer. And then... Lynette goes on to say that she loves it. It's the best job she's ever had kind of a thing. Meanwhile, her kids are knocking over an old lady with a trolley. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to know how she reacted and left that scene from her friend to the old lady. So yeah. <laughs> be right back. My kids just killed someone, but it's okay because they were excited. Yeah. There was emotion attached. Yeah. So it's all good. <laughs> there was emotion attached. They were having fun. I'm going to have fun murdering you. And I'll be fine with it because you're having fun. I don't think you'll be fine with it. You'll be dead. (laughs) And then next we see Lynette at home trying to feed her baby while the kids are playing. Um, But then the baby just like spits a whole mouthful of peaches upon her. (laughs) Yeah. Suddenly Tom walks in. He wasn't expected for another week. But he's like, yeah, I have to go back in the morning. But you sounded uh, frazzled, (laughs) which is um, a nice way of saying you were going to bring the children to me and ruin my life. Yeah. But also, I want to point out how much of a shitty friend Tom, not a shitty friend, shitty husband Tom is, because your wife's best friend died, you don't come back for a funeral. No. Don't want to help her with the kids while she's grieving? No, don't want to. And then the first, and the second you see her, you're like, okay, everyone go play outside while I rail your mum. Yeah. And then um, also the punch in the face when she was like, let's just risk it when she's dying with four Yeah. Kids. I, I was know. like, very deserved. Honestly, I agree. <laughs> Literally deserved. If anyone deserved a punch in the face, it was Tom for that. Yeah, I know. Also, this is another thing I was going to ask you guys. It's a given, I'm guessing, that this sh- this whole street is, like, well off. Correct? Yeah, they don't really have financial troubles yet. Okay. So why isn't Lynette hiring help? Because she's because... decided to be the stay-at-home mum. Okay. But she could still hire someone to help her with her four children. Yeah, but they're still on only one income. Yeah, one income, four kids that have to all go through school and probably have braces and university and everything. They still need to save. Yeah, like they're not rich. They're not rich, rich. They're just, they're like middle class families and they can afford to live on one income while she raises the four kids. 
And then the, the first time we saw her in the next episode, in number two, is um, her kids are going crazy in the car. She's trying to get her kids to go somewhere. The kids are going crazy and the police pull her over. She gets a little bit. She gets a little bit emotional with the police. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. She was upset and frustrated. What is wrong yeah. with you guys and emotions, man? People have them. It's normal. It's normal, but it's not an excuse for everything you do. She vented her way out of a ticket. Did she not? You could have gone completely different to that. She got yeah. lucky. He unclips his gun. Like yeah. Well, she, she, she had a crazy look in her eye. She was upset. So if the police officer shot her because he was upset, that would have been fine. Justified. Well, he was scared. If he looked cute and delighted while he did it, Sadie would forgive him. Yeah. He was scared, true. bro. Oh, I some... slipped. <laughs> but basically the reason that Lynette gets emotional is because this cop says you need to figure out a way to control your kids because isn't that your job? And yeah. she rages. She gets out of this car. She slams the door. And she's like, are you saying my bad mother? I have no help. My husband's always away on business. Um, my babysitter went into witness protection. Yeah, I was about <laughs> to say, that answers your question, So That's why she can't have help. Because her help is in witness protection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she hasn't slept in six years. How dare you judge me? And then he's like, I'll give you a warning. Bye. <laughs> then I guess the next thing for Lynette is, um, Mrs. Hoover is collecting clothes for Edie for something that has absolutely nothing to do with Susan's fault. <laughs> so, yeah. Unrelated Susan <laughs> reasons. Unrelated Susan reasons. She's collecting clothes for Edie. Um, and she mentions to Lynette, oh, by the way, so Mrs. Hoover, love Mrs. Hoover. She's such a gossip. She's like, oh, didn't I see you pulled over by a cop the other day? <laughs> yeah, and I know. Lynette, and then Lynette starts like ranting about her kids. And Mrs. Hoover tells her this story of like, oh, well, once my mum left me on the side of the road and, like, she came back, but I never misbehaved again, so maybe you should do that. And Lynette's like, no, I couldn't. <laughs> but then, the next time in the, she's in the car, her kids are going crazy. And she realises that <laughs> this isn't just them being unruly. They're challenging her. She sees this as a challenge. But she decides to do the Mrs. Hoover trick and kick them out of the car and drive off. Um, so she kicks her kids out of the car <laughs> and she drives around the corner, waits for a little bit and she turns back around. When she comes back, the kids are gone and she's freaking out. And she's like, whoa, where the hell did they go? Um, so she's like screaming, screaming for the kids and some lady like just comes out of her front door and Lynette's like, oh my God, have you seen three boys? Like I left my kids here somewhere. And the lady's like fully judging her and she's like, yeah, I saw some three kids. I saw you could leave them and drive away. <laughs> They're in my house right now. <laughs> yeah. And um, so she's taking the kids into her house and she's giving them cookies and she's just like bagging on Lynette for being such a bad mom. And she's like, I think you've got anger management issues. And Lynette's like, well, I've got four kids under six. Of course I have anger management issues. Um, but this lady's like refusing to give Lynette her kids back. But the boys decide that um, only they can make their mum's life hell. So they yeah. literally full-on attack this woman. Push her, kick her, bite her. And then they um, get in the car and they, to their credit, buckle up. So some success has been made in um, Lynette's relationship with her kids. Um, should we move on to Brie? 
it's going to yeah. be Brie. Um, so the first time we see Brie is she's having a family dinner and her kids are just not appreciating her. So she made like basil yes. puree or something as a soup and her kids are like, oh my God, why can't we just have normal soup for once? Like, why can't we have French onion? And we find out that it's because um, their dad is deathly allergic to onions, so they can't have that. Andrew's like, why do you have to cook gourmet every night? Like, why can't we just cuisine. have pork and beans? Yeah, cuisine. Yeah. Why can't we just have pork and beans? And then um, Brie is like, are you doing drugs? Which is yeah. a very valid question because who complains about having too good food? I feel like Brie is too much. Are you on drugs? <laughs> Yeah, maybe she is too much, but she's not doing anything to them. She's not forcing them to cook or to clean. She's doing it herself. In that scene, she's like, uh, I spent three hours on dinner. And everyone's like, well, who asked you to spend three hours on dinner? They're just trying to reach out to her and be like, we don't care that you spent three hours. Like, we just want you. I disagree with that completely. They are not saying it in that way at all. They were really rude and unnecessary and unkind to her. They're teenagers. Okay, so was the husband, though. He's a grown man. All he wanted was salt. He didn't even open his mouth. All he said, he wanted salt. That's the problem. His kids are being like bitches to her and being like super unappreciative of everything that she does. And then Mm. she's like, Rex, are you not going to say anything? Like, and he's just like, can you pass the salt? Like, it's so rude. Like, yes, no one asked her to spend three hours on dinner. No one asked her to do anything like that. But they expect her to cook still. So why not have mm-hmm. – and if she enjoys cooking and making fancy food, it's not harming them. She's accommodating to their allergies. She's keeping yeah. them well fed. Yeah. And also the other thing is it doesn't matter if they didn't ask her to. Like I usually a mum doesn't wait around to be asked to make dinner, first of yes. all. They don't wait around to be asked to do people's laundry and to drive them to their places or to whatever. They do it because they have to because it's, you know, part of raising a family. It's nice to be appreciated for doing that stuff. Exactly. Okay, agree, agree, but this obviously isn't like the first indication that her kids aren't happy with her cooking. But why? Their real their complaint is that it's too kids good. just want to fit in. They can fit kids... in at school and eat also buko at home. I feel like it's a give and take situation. Yeah, and they're doing all the taking and not giving anything. Yeah, how hard is it to say? Thank you for dinner. It's really lovely. That's all she wanted from them. Okay. Yeah. It's not that hard to say it, but I feel like she should be more considerate instead of like escalating the situation. She could have descaled it. She could have been like, okay, so uh-huh. what would you like? Like she's sort of like. So instead of so instead of defending herself and her work that she's put down for three hours and letting her kids be unappreciative and go into the world like that, she should have okay. just been like, oh, I'm sorry. I'll get you your chicken nuggies right now. Also, those kids are old enough to have manners. They're 14 and 15. Like, they are old enough to be like, okay, I don't want this for dinner. I I can make myself a sandwich or don't worry about me. I'll fend for myself, basically. Mm. Okay. I'll tell you what, though. I want Brie to adopt me. I will happily eat her osobuco and her basil purees and I will not say shit. I know, literally. (laughs) But so Brie does decide to accommodate and try and meet her kids in the middle ground and she takes them to some weird-ass cowboy restaurant. Exactly. <laughs> Where the bathrooms are labelled chicks and dudes. Exactly. So I think that is Bree's middle ground. She just wants to be appreciated for what she does do at home. And she says, I'm not angry at the kids. Like, I get it. They just wanted a change of scenery. But they could have done it in a much better way is all I'm saying. True. Um, once they're there, the kids go to um, play on the arcade games that are there. Rex just kind of blurts out that he wants a divorce. 
and that he can't live in this detergent commercial anymore. And she's kind of frozen and just says, I'm going to go make you a salad now. And that's yeah, another thing. But he also doesn't stop her from making him a salad. Exactly. Like, oh, you're too perfect, Brie, but please carry on, fetch my salad. Yes, go fetch my salad, shoo shoo. And also, like, what a place to bring this up. Like, yeah, Brie is right. I'm not going to discuss my marriage in a place with the bathrooms labeled chicks and dudes. But also, yeah. you're at a family dinner in public. Like, this is not the time or place to be bringing that kind of thing up. Mm, exactly. Gotcha. Like, she doesn't cause a scene. Mate, I'll cause a scene. I don't care. And then um, Mrs. Hoover, who is just everywhere these episodes, shows up while um, Brie is getting the salad and she's just distracting Brie. So Brie puts onions on the plate and doesn't realise. Because she's emotional. does she? You know, if she's emotional, whatever. Whatever happens, <laughs> she's got onions on this plate. And Rex just eats this plate full of onions that you should have been able to see with absolutely no regard for his own health. They were like huge onions. After Rex eats these giant onions, he collapses onto the floor and takes the tablecloth with him and basically dies in the restaurant. Um, <laughs> and then um, he says to Brie, you put onions in my salad. And she's like, no, I didn't. And then she's like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. And then the next thing we see is that Rex is in the hospital bed and he's like, I can't believe you tried to k- kill me. And she's like, well, I have to say, I do feel quite badly about that. Or what can I say? I feel quite badly about that. Yeah, she said, yes, well, I feel badly about that. Is what <laughs> yes, I love Brie. She's so funny. And um, he just starts to go on about, like, are you sure it wasn't on purpose because I told you I want a divorce? I'm sick of how you don't drink milk from the carton anymore or you don't burn your toast and your hair doesn't move. <laughs> I <You> like that <laughs> one. Because <laughs> it's true, her hair doesn't move. Because her hair is perfect. <laughs> I know, literally. And he's like, I miss the woman who burnt toast and drank milk from the carton, not this cold woman that you've become. Um, it says she went into the bathroom and qu- quietly sobbed for five minutes and then returned, but you wouldn't know because she looked perfect when she came out and Rex never knew. And then the next episode is again Bree's marriage issues. Um, the first thing we see from her is that she, they're sleeping separately, so he's sleeping on the fold-out lounge and she goes up to him and says, um, can I ask you a question? He was awake. So she starts talking to him about the night that they got engaged. And he made her a promise that he was going to love her forever if she said yes. And she was already engaged to someone else, it sounds like. Her parents Scandal. didn't approve of him. Scandalous. But despite all that, she said yes and she just agreed to marry him. And she said, instead of seeing a divorce lawyer, why don't we see a therapist? Because you promised me. And he's like... Yeah, fine, basically, dragging his feet. Um, I don't know. She also promised to marry another guy called Ty Grant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But she didn't marry him, though. She didn't, but she made the promise to. (laughs) But he made a conditional promise. He said, I promise to love you if you marry me. She married him. Mm -hmm. There is a contract there. Yeah, that's a binding contract. (laughs) So they go to um, therapy and they're seeing Dr. Goldfine who is the most boring-looking man I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and, literally. Um, she, in typical Brie style, brings him homemade potpourri as she's entering, and Brie's like, yes, you're about to make a fortune off of us. <laughs> Rex. <laughs> yeah, Rex. And then we find out that Brie's avoided expressing her feelings and instead has had, like, an hour of small talk. And Rex is, like, really laying into her. He's yes. Like, don't even know if she has any feelings. Like, she clearly does, Rex. Calm down. 
but you can express what you're saying in a more constructive way. Yeah, that's literally it. He's like, I don't know if she feels anger, rage, ecstasy. You never know because she's always pleasant. Do you know how annoying that is? It's not very con- a constructive way to say that to your wife. And, like, he's no. yelling about her as if she's not there as well. Like, and the, the thing that he said about it's hard to know if she even has any feelings. Like, it's just, like, dehumanising. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I was not a fan of his work in that scene at all. But then Brie is distracted. The whole time the like Rex is talking, she's kind of like um, disassociated and yeah. she's distracted by the loose button that's hanging on the coat of uh, Dr. Goldfine. And um, she even goes so far as reaching in and pulling, like grabbing onto her sewing kit from her bag. And yeah. then like when they ask a question, she kind of snaps out of it and puts it back in her bag but she is like she is having some sort of issue where she's making up for dealing with her emotions with this perfectionness like so rex is right in that she is clearly having some issues but he is wrong in how he's approaching it i think that's pretty spot on but also this therapist i don't know how qualified they are i've got because the next scene is also another day and brie goes back to therapy but it sounds like rex is caught up um at work and he won't be able to go and so he suggested that brie does it alone um, at first, she says no, she's got places to be, but that damn button is on her mind. Yeah. So she is like, she goes back, she opens his door, and she says, actually, there is something you can do for me. Take off your coat. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so she's chatting to the guy while she's fixing his coat, and then she ends up inadvertently kind of expressing some of her feelings. So the therapist brings up Freud, and he's like, oh, Freud wouldn't be happy about this. And then... Bree says, I don't like him. He was a miserable human being. Like, he lived in a time where they had no appliances and his mum did, like, backbreaking work for him and she was so underappreciated. And, like, so through this guise of talking about Freud's mum, she's expressing her own feelings and how she feels about his own job. Yeah. Now, this therapist starts to kind of become taken with Bree, and we'll see that in the next bit as well. And um, then he says, oh, many of Freud's theories have been discredited anyway. Um, so and then she's happy, but it's also like, well, why did you bring him up in the first place? Because he was the one that brought her him up. Yeah. Then the next thing that they cut to is that she's back in therapy again this time with the Rex. Ah, uh, this scene. Yeah, this he disagrees that it takes two to ruin a ma- marriage. It's all her fault. He's the perfect husband, and it kills her to admit that. Yeah, yeah. like he's like gaslighting. Like that is just like major gaslighting. The perfect husband would never say, it killed you to admit that I've been a perfect husband. I know, (laughs) literally. That's red flag number one. Um, But because the therapist was quite taken by Brie and her button fixing, he steps in and starts taking Brie's side. And he's like, "Um, actually, when have you ever thanked her for anything she's done for you? And he's like, what? Yeah, he's like, by your own admission, like, you always have home-cooked meals, your clothes are always pressed, your errands are always run, like... Have you ever stopped yeah. to say thank you? And he just kind of stares. Yeah. The perfect husband. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And that's all I have for Brie. Same. Me too. Gabby? Gabby. Gabby. Gabby, the reload. Gabby and Carlos are talking in the house and she's saying that she doesn't want to go to some dinner because Tanaka, who is um, someone that he does business with, I guess, um, apparently always tries to ga- grab Gabby's ass. And Carlos is just like, I made over $200,000 with him last year. If he wants to grab your ass, you let him kind of a thing, Um, which is disgusting, first of all. Yeah. 
is that the price of your wife's ass? <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and as he's leaving, he yells at John, the gardener, for something. And he yeah. ends up cutting his finger on a rose. And Gabrielle tells him, you know, go inside. There's bandages in the kitchen on the top shelf. Um, You know, go fix it, whatever. And Gabby's like, fine, I'll go to your dinner, but I'm keeping my back pressed against the wall the whole time. And Carlos is like, yeah, cool. This is what marriage is meant to be, baby. Compromise. And when she goes in to see John, he's like, like, is your finger okay? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. Just a small cut. And then she just starts making out with his finger. Like, right then and there. Um, It turns out she is our, this series is pedo. So she's been hooking up with a 16-year-old, apparently. Yeah. And he's not into it, but then she's like, oh, but this table is hand-carved from Italy and worth $23,000. So don't you want to have sex with me in front of this open window on this busy street? (laughs) I know. I know. That's literally my note too. Like, there's so many people and cars passing. Mine says, bro, her windows are wide open. (laughs) I've also got here, I've also got here, where's Hoover? Yeah. I know. Hoover's looking in everyone else's windows. Apart from the one where she should be looking at. Yeah, this is the worst way to hide an affair I've ever seen. I know. At least Ezra and Ari have sometimes held pinkies on a desk in secret. Yeah. <laughs> so after John and Gabby hook up, um, he basically starts asking all these questions about like... Oh, but can I just say, they're now in the bedroom in front of an open glass window, in front of open glass doors. Yeah. They can't have sex somewhere where they couldn't be seen. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, continue. I just wanted to set the scene for where they are now. Yeah, okay, broad daylight next to an open window and glass doors. You can see Easy. people walking around on the street behind them. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Thank you for this scene setting. Yeah. Um, you can basically see the neighbours watching TV next to them. Yeah. Um, they've just had sex and Gabby's having a cigarette and they're just talking. He like starts asking her these questions like, oh, why did you marry Mr. Solis? Um, and she's married him because he gives her everything she's ever wanted. So he's like, so why aren't you happy? And she says, turns out I wanted all the wrong things. And that she does love him, but the reason that she's with John is because she doesn't want to wake up one day with a sudden urge to blow her brains out. Which is ridiculous, because if that's the sudden urge that you may have, you need to get a divorce, mate. Well, she's making a reference to Mary Alice Young there. Yeah. I know. So she's, I think the thing is that she's worried about being, having no excitement in her life. But also the, um, beyond the Ezra moment in this scene is when she... Like, tells him, you're much too young to have a smoke. Yeah. I know. Nasty. Well, you know what else is nasty? This is, like, later on, but we'll fast forward to it just quickly for a second. When she hooks up with him in his bedroom that has, like, sandwiches everywhere and, like, (laughs) his childhood photos everywhere. Like, that's also nasty. She was creeped out by that childhood photo, but, like, literally that was him two years ago. That was last week. (laughs) That was him at softball practice. (laughs) Yeah, so um, because I was so busy, he didn't get around to mowing the lawn, did he? So as they were leaving for the party, Carlos actually realizes that the lawn's not been mowed. Right? I have never met. I've never. I haven't even met them. I've never seen anyone be disinvested in their in their garden, like ever. Um, if you're paying someone to be looking after your grass, you expect your grass to be mowed. And for because it seems like it was a recurring issue for him, he was like. That thing that you were meant to pull out isn't pulled out. This grass isn't mowed. That thing isn't trimmed. Like, it just kept happening. Mm. Yeah. 
Also, like, I think it's fine that he cares about his yard because it's like, yeah, you're right. He's paying money for it and everything. But also we've already seen that Carlos and Gabby seem to be like about what's on the surface and how things look and everything. Yeah. yeah. They're all about appearances. So the front of the house needs to look good. He notices that the um the, the lawn isn't mowed and Gabby silently panics a little on the inside. So as soon as she gets, as soon as they get to where they were going, she hands the bartender a bribe, the one the waiteress, waiteress, mm. <laughs> the yeah, waiters a bribe, and says, make sure that he's got a drink in his hand the entire night. So this idiot quickly jumps back in her car, drives all the way back to her house, and goes full, full on lawn mowing machine on the entire garden in her gown and heels, and no one saw. Yeah, I know. This, this is yeah. like where where is the no- nosy neighbors at? Like you've got you're gonna have at least somebody the next day being like, yeah. why were you mowing in a ball gown? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And also, my other thing is, if you're paying John, and he's not doing the gardening, but you're having sex with him in that time, he's a prostitute. Yes. A prostitute. And yeah. second of all, text him and be like, mate, go mow the fucking lawn while we're out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Like there, there's. There were so many other ways that she could have gotten out of this instead of her going back home and mowing a lawn. Yeah. But also, let me tell you, she did a fantastic job and she looked great. So Yes, she did. Who, who's the real winner here? Also, I'm just, I'm just like, glad she got it started. I was going to have a panic attack if she couldn't. Um, and then Carlos wakes up the next morning and he is like, oh, maybe it was dark after all because the... Grass looks mowed now, basically. So the next bit is Carlos unexpectedly comes home early. Gabby is in the tub with John and Carlos rocks up at home and they're panicking. And she basically has to throw John out of the window and his clothes out after him. Um, And she just rushes downstairs with her hair wrapped up and she's in a thing. And she greets Carlos at the door and she says that, oh, she just had a shower because she had a workout. But she realises that John's pants are on the couch. Um, So he's out there with no pants the clothes she threw out but the pants are on the couch Carlos starts asking her questions and she's like where's he's like where's John his car's outside and she's like uh 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 like panicking so John pops up at the window and he's like hi Mr. Solis and he's like clipping the hedges that man is double cheeked up on a Thursday who just bare yeah. bottom outside. <laughs> Again, the neighbours are not seeing this. There is a guy with no underwear on trimming the hedges. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, why are you trimming the hedges with your face inside the living room? <laughs> and he's like, let me just get these leaves in your house. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. And the next time we see... Gabby and Carlos, um, it's late at night and Gabby's in bed. He comes in and is like, I know you're awake. And she's like, you know what, Carlos, if I wanted to have dinner alone six um, days a week, I wouldn't have married you kind of a thing. Um, I got so bored today. I came this close to cleaning the house. I know. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I know. Um, but don't worry, though. He got her a gift and she opens it and it's like this white gold tennis bracelet thing. And he's like, now put it on and make love to me. Um, And when she's like, I'm not in the mood, he's, but we can stay up and talk though. He's like, when a man buys expensive jewelry for a woman, he expects a lot of things, but just for the record, conversation ain't one of them. And then he's like, whoa, 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 what's wrong? You've been acting like a nightmare. It was a joke. What's the matter with you? Yeah. Also, he says you've been acting like a nightmare for a month, and it's and he's like, "What's wrong?" Um, her friend died. You went to the funeral. Yeah, 
literally that's what i was gonna say all these husbands acting like goddamn bitches like yeah. like their wife's best friend didn't kill themselves like a few weeks ago yeah calm doesn't come back from for the funeral carlos is off just like being like let my let my boss grab your ass and also like make love to me right now you've been acting like a nightmare because you don't like me never being home yeah um and Rex is like, you're a goddamn stone cold bitch, Rhi. You have no personality and I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, all these women are going through it. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, but the kind of essence of this is Gabby's saying to him that the spark's gone. Like, it's not like it used to be. I want you to try like you used to. And he says, okay, that he will. It's unfulfilled because all she gets is material. What's that JLo song? My love don't cost a thing. Yeah. Her love does cost something, but she wants more than money. Yeah. Yeah. Like a car. Well, no. She wasn't happy with that. She didn't just didn't say anything because he wouldn't understand anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like, Who's not going to be happy money? with a convertible? Like, it's a nice present, but it's not making an effort. You just bought something. Yeah, exactly. She wants to feel that romance in their relationship. She didn't say to him, go out and buy me a car. She said, I want you to make an effort like you did when we first met. They've met and got married after three dates. Yeah, and that was a big romantic gesture. She, he literally swept her off her feet. He was like, I'm so taken by you. I want to marry you, spend the rest of my life with you. And she wants that kind of energy, that kind of romance. I think she's just as superficial as Carlos is. Sorry. Yeah, she is superficial. No one's yeah, doubting she, that. But yeah. she wants more from their relationship than he does. Yes, she is superficial. That's why she married him. But she wants more. She wants yeah. superficial stuff and she wants a connection. Well, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Well, she does want her cake and eat it too. I feel like she, it's the bare minimum is to want to be connected to your husband. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you're dead set right, Sadie. Like, she is superficial because the alternative is she could leave him and be a poor man, but she doesn't want to. (laughs) She wants to stay with him because he's rich, but also she wants to have that love. What's that internet mean? It's it's comfier to cry in a Ferrari than it is a Toyota. Yeah, exactly. 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 That's her thinking, and I love it. (laughs) I'm here for it. I'd much rather be sad in a convertible BMW as well. Yeah, so like no one's saying she's not superficial. She absolutely is. But she she yearns for a deeper connection. But the next time we see Gabby, she's in incognito mode in her tiny black dress and leopard head scarf. Yeah, nobody knows that's her. <laughs> no one can tell. <laughs> no one can tell. Who even is that woman? I don't know. Leopard print is so discreet. <laughs> it's really discreet, especially when you have the matching shoes. Yeah, exactly. And um, she basically waits for John's mum to go take his little brother to softball or something like that. And yeah. she rocks up and she's like, by the way, when you come over to garden, you have to actually garden. We have to be more discreet. Let's have sex on this sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and then this, this is, is where we've already talked about this scene, but yeah, this is where she gets creeped out by that childhood photo. Of him from last year. <laughs> yeah. His last year school photo. Yeah. Um, but Gabby gets a bit of that connection that she's been yearning for. So John makes the effort and says, I've been looking everywhere for it, but I found a flawless rose. It's flawless just like you. And this is when she realizes that this isn't just an affair for John anymore. He's in love with her. 
and she says it's really beautiful but she has to go so the next time we see gabby is when her and susan just got back from shopping so they're carrying all these bags into the into the house and um so they're having a conversation and as susan goes to leave she notices that the single red rose that john got for her and she makes a comment on how beautiful it is and gabby without thinking says yeah john got it for me which leads to like an awkward stare down of of the ladies and she's like john got it for you but gabby cover recovers like pretty well because she's like yeah he brought it to me for a color palette after this happens gabby's just sitting on the stairs staring at her single rose and um there's a beeping from outside so she goes out and she sees um carlos is there with a brand new car with like a ribbon on it and she's like oh my god carlos and like goes and jumps in his arms and everything he says, like, are you surprised? Is this the best gift you've ever gotten? And she doesn't say anything. She just kisses him. And Mary Alice is speaking over the top, basically saying she had a feeling that if she told him anyway, he wouldn't understand. It's very rare that a man understands the value of a single perfect red rose. Because that was him surprising her and keeping things exciting, I guess. So we, we talked about this a bit before, but I personally don't think this is him making an effort. I think he's just buying new things, bigger things. But I think that's all there is for Gabby. Yeah, and um, we're on to Sadie's favourite, Susan. She's not my favourite, but she's she's pretty good. You literally called her magic and no one can touch her. Yeah. She's That's adorable. Quite... So after the mac and cheese thing, we see Julie taking initiative of things. Julie is her daughter. So Julie purposely kicks a soccer ball into Mike's backyard, goes and does some recon and then comes back to um, give um susan the lowdown on their new neighbor mike mate how did she get this information out of him though it's like okay you've kicked the ball into the yard how as like a basically like nine-year-old do you go up there and ask oh why are you renting oh it's for tax purposes cool your wife died awesome she just did okay so (laughs) after this conversation with julie uh, susan's like very on the fence about going and ask like she wants to she wants to make an effort after her and her husband's divorce but you can tell that she's not very enthusiastic about it until Julie makes a comment about something that she heard at her dad's house, like between her dad and his girlfriend. So apparently the girlfriend asked the dad, has Susan dated anyone since the divorce? And he said, I doubt it. And they both laughed. Hearing this come from her daughter, I think Susan got like upset by it and was like determined to move on with her life now. So she picks up a pot plant that she had hanging around the house and runs up to um, Mike Delfino's door, knocks on it, and offers him the peace offering. She makes the first move. Mike mentioned that she's the first to stop by, and Susan's super happy because she's the first to find out a new single bachelor has entered the scene, basically. And enter Edie Britt and her boobs 10 minutes ahead of schedule. Edie comes in and she's apparently, we can find out a little bit about Edie, but basically what Mary Alice is saying, she's a hoe and she slept with a pasta. Um, And she's brought food over to welcome Mike. She had the same idea as Susan and wanted to bring a welcome gift. She made sausage puttanesca. Mike's like, oh, I'd invite you both in, but I'm just working on something. And so when they go to leave, Edie turns around and says, oh, Mike, you're a plumber. Please come help me with my pipes later. Yeah. Um, As you do. Yeah, as you do. Then they just wave goodbye. It starts the rivalry. And later on, Susan's like feeling a bit self-conscious and she turns to Susan, uh, mini Susan, and says to Julie, um, 
How would you feel about me using your child support payments for plastic surgery? All the children in this show are like stone cold bitches because Julie then turns around and says, go ask him out right now before he realizes he can do better. Yeah. But anyway, Susan decides she's going to go over and ask him out. But when she goes over there. Yeah, she's planning to ask him out. Um, She's over there in her hottest little dress. Um, But when she gets there, Edie's already there and she's made extra ambrosia that she needs to share with him. Um, yeah, of course. of course she did. She's so kind. And so, but before the door opened wider and um, she saw Edie, Susan said, oh, I came to ask you something. And like Mike cannot read a room for the life of him. Like he is room mm-hmm. blind. And he's like, oh, Susan, he was just going to ask me something. And they both stare at Susan waiting. Like what was she going to say, honestly? Mike, could you not tell that she was about to ask you out? Or could you um, know it was private, like at least? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So then um, Susan freaks out and she's like, um, like, I've got a clog and you're a plumber, right? So I've got a clog. You need to fix my clog because you're a plumber and I've got a clog. She's and, so quirky. Yeah, she's really quirky. And he's like, cool, I'll just head right over. And she's like, now? And Edie <laughs> can tell. Edie's husband, yeah. Edie can read the room. Edie yeah, is she's not room, room blind. <laughs> she's not room blind. She's room literate. And she's like, yeah, sounds good. i got no problem. Let's go now. And so Susan's like, okay. And she like literally runs across the road and um, her and her daughter, Julie, start shoving together a bunch of stuff trying to clog the kitchen drain. They're like pulling up hair from a hairbrush. They're shoving cooking oil down there. They're working on a peanut butter jar. But the thing is, her blinds are so that he can literally stare in when he gets there. I know. He stares in to her over the kitchen sink with a jar of peanut butter. And he's like, hello. <laughs> yeah. And how much longer did they make him wait at that door watching them as they shove popsicles down the sink? Oh, I know. Because that's the next thing she does. She sacrifices Julie's project that she was working on and puts popsicle, popsicles down there. And then she blames Julie for it. Like, oh, kids. Like, you can't do that because she's not three. I know. Like, did he actually look at that kid and be like, oh, yeah, she definitely shoved popsicles down here. This kid that interrogated me about why I'm renting and my financial status. Exactly. If he saw you fussing over the sink, surely you say, like, oh, I don't know what happened. Julie, like, unclogged it or something. She ran hot water and it started working. Just move on from it. Be like, oh, never. sorry to bother you. Yeah. Um, One of my favourite scenes ever is this next scene. Yeah, me too. Go. (laughs) So Susan is in the supermarket doing her shopping. And Mrs. Huber, of course, is there in the center of all my favorite dramas. Yeah. And, um, oh, hey, how are you going? How's everything? And Mrs. Huber has no chill. She's like, oh, I'm not well. I ate some really shitty mac and cheese three yeah. weeks ago. And I haven't been able been the same since. I need to get, like, this um, Tums, basically. <laughs> Yeah, that but really- you know, like, you know, you know Mrs. Hoover. She probably knew that was Susan's mac and cheese. Yeah, of she course. Knew. Of she course knew. she knew. <laughs> and she's like, and I have to be on my best behaviour because Edie's a slut. Because <laughs> 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 she has a date and I'm going to babysit her son for her while we're at dinner and she'll be entertaining into the early hours. And Susan can't handle this. So she leaves her cart in the middle of the aisle full and runs away. Because now we're thinking it's Mike. Because she's then ranting to Julie going on about, like, Mike just can't like Edie better than me. He just can't, okay? And I'm like, why can't he? At least Edie has a personality. Susan has a personality. Not a good one. (laughs) It's a personality. 
We have personality at home. <laughs> literally susan gets really emotional okay she gets real emotional so she gets her little measuring cup and off she goes to trespass into Edie's house no she didn't go to trespass she went to go borrow a cup of sugar because she left all her shopping in the shopping center because she was so upset no she went over there with the intention of breaking up the date and crashing it and then when she wasn't getting an answer she just let herself in through the back door yeah. And was like, hello. I've hello. never seen someone so desperate for sugar before. I know. Whispering She's into the night. Period, bro. Hello. Hello. Anyone here? And she can hear the sexy music going. <laughs> she can see all the candles and everything. And there's clothes scattered everywhere. And then you can hear moaning. You can hear Edie's like having sex upstairs. And she takes it upon herself to have a, like, a pity party for herself on Edie's couch throws Edie's lingerie onto the flames and then sits there eating chocolate. And when the house is ablaze now, she's like, let me add more material to this fire. Let me just start throwing jeans and other things onto it. And then I'm yeah. going to run away quickly and leave my measuring cup behind because I'm scared. Doesn't call the fire brigade, doesn't yell, Edie, like there's a fire, nothing. Leaves no. them to die because they decide to sleep together. Yeah. And... um. Then next and the whole the time, she's also there. just, she just keeps feeling sorry for herself. The whole time, like, Edie's house and life has burnt down. And she's like, oh, no, Mike's left with Edie. I know, <laughs> literally. And this happens again because, like, like, after this, the fire brigade is there and everyone's talking about, um, you know, how, how could this happen and blah, 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 blah. Um, and then Mike comes up and he's like, wow, what happened here? And she realizes he wasn't in the house. Susan's like now just grinning and she's like everything's fine everything's fine now everything's great like and she's just smiling up at him like she didn't just ruin a whole ass woman's life yeah like everything's fine because my imaginary boyfriend didn't cheat on me with Edie. yeah you don't like someone else better than me you should still feel bad even though mike wasn't in there yeah Someone had to go to the hospital for smoke inhalation yeah and mary alice young's um like narration was like and Susie could um Susan could like see that there was hope or something afterwards like and it's like mate she shouldn't because she just burnt down someone's house yeah Susie should go to prison (laughs) you guys don't even go after a as hard as you guys are going after Susan because Susan's meant to be the good guy that's the thing a is meant to be like a bad character you're not meant to empathize with a you're meant to be like oh Susan lucky her Maybe yeah. boyfriend that she's spoken to twice doesn't like Edie better. Yeah, exactly. I like Susan. She's relatable. She's not relatable. Oh, I remember. <laughs> it's so relatable. I also burn down houses whenever I have a crush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I also ruined my kids' projects to get a man. Yeah. I wanted to make another Pretty Little Lies comparison here. The end of this um, episode... The end of the episode where she um uh and the four women are standing behind the police take talking about what just happened is that yeah. not straight up pretty little liars vibes in the first episode where they it find is. out that allison's body has been found yeah like it's the 100%. exact same thing anyway that's all i want 100%. to say it's such a good point actually same show different people yeah literally all right also this man that she's willing to throw away her child's education and someone else's life over just goes home, calls someone and is like, 
no, I haven't found anything yet, but I'm getting closer and pulls out a gun. Yeah. <laughs> like, man is sketchy. <laughs> yeah. And there's ominous music playing in the background, so that's never a good sign. Exactly. Right, so the next time we see Susan, though, she's still, like, pining over Mike through the window. Like, yeah. it's it's nighttime, and she's just watching uh, Mike take Bongo out for a walk. Bongo. And while she's pining over Mike, Julie chimes in and says something snarky. I can't remember what it was now. And um, her mum says, so shouldn't you be making brownies for your school or for, your, like, your nerd friends or something? And that's when they realise that the measuring cup is missing and it's still been – it's left at 80s. So just a couple of things about this scene. First of all, what time is this – okay, we're already pre-little liars thing. We're having an issue with timelines here because um, the whole thing of this is the narrator says, oh, Susan woke up in the middle of the night thirsty and, like, she went down to get a drink of water. So we think <laughs> it's the middle of the night. She's gone to bed and has woken up to have some water. But <laughs> – it's early enough that her, like, basically four-year-old child is still going to make brownies alone yeah. and hasn't gone to bed yet. And also, even if that is the time, uh, if it's beyond, like, six o'clock, why is Mike walking his dog in the middle of the night in jeans? Where are your pajamas? That's a red flag. Yeah, exactly. That's so true about the brownies and her waking up in the middle of the night. I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> Julie's like, I'm wide awake. Like, i got to bake some brownies by 5 a.m. <laughs> Anyway, the next morning, right, Susan decides to wake up and just throw the rubbish in the bin without even doing anything else. Pulls, puts on a robe. Yeah, Susan's such a hot mess, looking like a goddess in just a robe and her, like, perky boobs. Like, oh, don't look at me. I'm so disgusting. She looks like how she does the rest of the time, but with a ponytail. Yeah. I need to put the I need to put the rubbish in the bin. So she goes to put the rubbish in the bin, and who's walking their dog for the thousandth time that day? No, it's not the thousandth time. He's still walking it from last night. Don't worry. <laughs> it's Mike. So so then she um she goes to Mike and decides to ask him out for dinner in this sudden little fit of um confidence. Do you want to have dinner with me? But first she was so ugly that her dog barked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're so ugly, <laughs> Bork. Do you want to have dinner with me and Julie? It's a thing we do. Yeah, it's, it's a, a tradition. New, it's a new tradition. <laughs> Where um, I bring you over for home-cooked meals and give you takeout. And Mike's like, okay, crazy. How about I cook you guys dinner and you can come over? And yeah. they're like, great, see you then. Dog barks at her again. And I want to point out, even the dog knows she's not a nice person. Yeah, She's a nice person, bro. Trust she the just dogs. misunderstood. She's understood. <laughs> like, I understand her. She's just not good. And she goes back in to tell Julie about the dinner. She's like, also, but you're going to be sick, though. Yeah. You can't make it. Yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kill you. I'll kill you if I have to. So it's the next time we see them, it's the night of the dinner. Mike's just arrived home with some groceries. And um, and he's going to be making ribeye, ribeye steak because that's Susan's favorite, Julie told him. Um, and Susan's kind of trying to help him with the groceries and stuff and chatting to him. And then Edie shows up. And, like, so Mike and Susan are almost at his front door. Edie's on the road. And she's, like, talking to them. And Mike walks – when they start talking, Mike leaves Susan behind and literally walks into Edie's mouth to talk yeah. to her. <laughs> <laughs> like, they could not have been more intimate. It was crazy. Uh, like you can just have a conversation from across the lawn from someone that just came to say hi to you while you're on your lawn. You don't have to. No, walk he's a close now. talker. <laughs> and 
And um, so Edie is just like throwing shade on Mrs. Hoover by being like, oh my God, like I'm basically starving. I haven't eaten anything good in weeks. Like I'm dying. Uh, I, noticed, <laughs> I noticed you guys are having dinner. And um, Mike like gives Susan a look and Susan's like, you want to join us, Edie? So Edie's like, okay, I don't want to intrude. And Mike's like, oh, it's not like that. And then she's like, oh, then I will intrude. Um, so now Edie is also coming to the dinner. So I guess um, Julie is back to being invited. Yeah, she's and not sick anymore. She's not dying now. So And then um, as Edie leaves, Mike's like, oh, I didn't ask if she was like vegetarian or anything. I didn't tell her that we were making steak. Is she a vegetarian? And Susan's like, no, Edie's definitely a carnivore. Like she's yeah. not doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So Mrs. Hoover is walking the streets begging on behalf <laughs> of Amy. Yeah. She's literally like, please, someone give us a crap of something for this poor <laughs> Yeah, and also she mentions to Susan, oh, do you have any clothes for Edie kind of a thing? And Susan, like, throws shade at her for, like, I thought the look she was going for is naked, something along those lines yeah. or nothing much. But, like, you burned down her house. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Hoover's like, oh, <laughs> Susan, please, don't you have anything for Edie? <laughs> She's got nothing to wear. <laughs> Susan's like, I thought that was the look she was going for. Mrs. Hoover says Sadie's favourite line, which is... Yeah, Edie may be trash, but she's still a human being. And this is like Edie's best friend who she's staying with. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. This is Edie's, this is Edie's BFF that's like literally begging on behalf of her. begging from Susan and um, Julie's home alone and she says um, mum's not home but I'll go upstairs and see if she has um, left anything there so while Julie's gone Mrs Hoover is snooping like she's going through their shopping she's spraying perfume on from their shopping and she notices that they have a new measuring jug she's starting to put pieces together because she noticed in the uh, ruins of the fire earlier that there was a uh, measuring jug that didn't belong to Edie. And Edie didn't question it, but Mrs. Hoover did. Of course. She was like, Edie, please scrape the shit off of this and use your measuring cup. It's all you have. <laughs> that was literally what she said. And Edie's like, get your shit together and help me find some jewellery, okay? <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. So Susan takes Gabby's advice and she turns up to Mike's house early to spend some more time with him. But when she gets the Edie's already there in an apron and tiny shorts helping him cook. Yeah. Also, how early did she get there? Because Susan was already an hour early and Edie beat her. Like, the devil works hard, but Edie works harder. It's true. Um, and we also missed the line that um, Susan was talking about with Gabby where she's like, well, the dinner's at 6. Edie will get there at 5.45, so her breasts will get there at 5.30. Yeah. So I'm going to aim for 5. Yeah. <laughs> 
Bongo is barking at her again and Edie takes this upon her to be like, oh, don't don't stress about dogs. They're just so sensitive to who they have around while the dog is gushing over her. Yeah. Bongo just loves Edie. Then they're like, like kind of having dinner next and Edie starts bringing up Susan's divorce and she's like, in my heart, I still believe you and Carl will end up together. <laughs> You won't find chemistry like that with another man. Never, never have no. I seen two people in love like that. I know. And, like, Edie just goes for the jugular. I love it. I know. But Julie's not far behind. Yeah. yeah. Julie's like, oh, I really liked your fourth husband. Yeah. And then she's like, I was only married twice. And she's like, oh, so you weren't married to the guy with the tattoos that got pulled away in a police cart? <laughs> <laughs> No, Julie, that was just one of Edie's special friends. But we should change the topic unless you want to keep going, Edie. Yeah. Susan's also a bitch. And so, Um, like, Susan is not only jealous of Mike, she's also jealous of this dog now. Yeah, I know. um, Because Edie's getting along with the dog, she decides she's going to wear gravy like it's cologne. She shoves it all behind her ears, on her wrists, whatever, all, all her pulse points, you know. And um, she goes back out and Bongo's obviously loving her and licking her ear and stuff. Um, but Bongo accidentally swallows the earring. Um, oh, was that an earring? I thought it was a chandelier, but okay. Yeah, it was a chandelier that she repurposed as an earring. Okay, cool. So everyone realises what's happened. Mike literally grabs the dog and starts running outside. So this is Mike in an emergency, right? He is too busy. He cannot call the vet himself. He's like shouting back to Edie. Edie, call the vet and tell them I'm on my way. Uh, like, he's got no time. He cannot call the vet himself. He has to do- get his dog and run out of there. But you know what he does have time for? Hating on Susan. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> because in all his panic, Susan's like, is there anything that I can do? And he, like, slow turns around, stares her dead in the face and goes, no. And then yeah. drives away. <laughs> I know. You wouldn't have time to stop and hate on someone. You do that later. <laughs> no, you do that through the window. <laughs> Fuck you, Susan. <laughs> Bye. But also, you would think that he would be more stressed out about leaving his home with, like, guns and shit around with um two random women he met last week that are fighting over him and drinking yeah. and dousing themselves in gravy. Yeah, because also it is like, cool, I'm going to stay here and clean up. And he's like, cool, fine, like just move in basically. Because we also see that while Edie's putting stuff away in the kitchen, we get a glimpse of his weird murder board looking thing where he's clearly looking for something or trying to solve something. Yeah, but my issue is he's got one side dedicated to pasta sauce and the other side dedicated to murder. Yeah, exactly. They go well together. Murder and pasta sauce. Yeah, literally. But you've got a whole ass house, man. It's just you in there. Like, you don't need to save on space like that. He wasn't betting on these two women going crazy over him, okay? But why do you need your murder stuff next to your pasta sauce? Why not? You don't know when inspiration hits. Um, so Susan goes to see him at the vet. And it's good news. They don't have to do surgery. They gave the dog some medicine that's going to make him pass the earring. And no, Susan doesn't want it back when it does. Susan finds out that actually... Bongo wasn't originally um, Mike's dog. It was his wife's dog. And he promised her that he was going to look after the dog as she was basically dying. And um, that's why the dog's so special to him. And he feels like it's you know something that he owes his wife. And, you know, it's his reminder of her. And Susan has decided that, well, since Mike is clearly in love with his wife, neither her or um, Edie are going to be winning anytime soon. And so... She settles for just being his friend. 
But can I just say, why was this a realization for you? You knew his wife died only last year. He's not going to be over her and dating in like 10 months. Yeah, but everything's about her. And um, to round out the episode, I guess we should talk about the stuff that happened to Mary Alice outside of the other four main characters um, that we haven't covered yet. So after the funeral, Zach, who is um, Mary Alice's son, hears some digging in the yard. And apparently that's the sound of a family secret. He's heard this before. And um, he goes outside and he sees that Paul is digging up the bottom of the pool. He had dug out a crate out of there, like a wooden box with some teddy bears inside. So, and then we cut to the women. While they're tidying up um, Mary Alice's mm. things, like Paul had asked them to do, they're having a drink in her honour and they find a letter in her belongings. And she hadn't received a threat the same day that she died. So the letter is postmarked the same day that she died. Yep. And it says, I know what you did. It makes me sick. I'm going to tell. Dun, dun, so it dun. seems like she got this letter. Something happened. She didn't. Something has happened that she didn't want to find out. And um, the girls are now asking, oh, Mary Alice, what did you do? So there's this mystery around um, what Mary Alice has done that has led to her death. Um, but also, like, the next day, this is another Pretty Little Liars connection. When they're talking about the note and what they should do, one of them raises, should we call the police? And they're like, nah. No. <laughs> Why would you? Why would you call the police? And, like, yeah. in this instance, they don't even have any secrets they're trying to hide at this stage. They're just like, we found this murder note from our friend, but, like, nah, we won't tell. Um, so, yeah, they couldn't really decide what to do with it. Um, and none of them could kind of sleep that night. They're tossing and turning. Sometime during the next day or a couple of days later, Susan decides to take it upon herself that she's going to be telling um, Paul about the note. Yeah. But we've been seeing Paul digging up the... Um, the family secret. The family secret, the chest that was at the bottom of the pool. So I don't know why he dug this thing up because... When Susan comes over to see him, he's wrapped it all up. He's putting it in the car. Then he goes and drops it off in the lake. Why do you bother digging up something that was perfectly well hidden in concrete underneath a pool that you've now poured into a lake? Yeah. That is way more exposed. Like, that doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. So who knows when this is going to be um, exposed or not. The only thing that we didn't mention um, that's in this side of the timeline that I should have put into Susan's is... um, one of my favourite lines of the episode is when Mrs. Hoover and Edie are digging through the ruins of Edie's house. And we already talked about how they find the um, measuring jug. Mm. But my favourite line from that episode, from that scene is when Edie's like, oh, my God, my house, everything my ex-husband worked for. Oh, oh God. <laughs> so good. But, yeah, with the teddy bear crate resurfacing from the lake because Paul is an idiot. We end the episodes. They were really good episodes. This just reminds me of how much I love Desperate Housewives. Cool. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I personally really enjoyed it, and I'm really looking forward to doing the next episode. We'll be back next week with um, Shadewood, where we'll be doing the season finale of season three. Make sure if you if you like this content or if there's anything else you want us to cover or anything you want us to talk about in more detail, um, make sure you reach out to us on our socials. You can find us at Worst Sister Shire on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Reddit. Or you can um, reach us at Sister Worst on Twitter or email us at, at WorstSisterShire at gmail.com. Let us know what you think and we'll see you next week. Are you guys ready for a Hadda Bum? Yep. Okay. One, two, three. Hadda Bum. Hadda bum.